Hello everyone, welcome to Figment of My Reality, where we talk about the true stuff that makes this big old world seem made up. I'm your first podcast host, Jeremy Bales. And I'm your other co-host, Jason Wright. So, um, when self-isolation started, and it didn't get super serious yet, we were going out to parks and stuff on, on some walks, and this is, I don't know, two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're walking around this little pond, and we get to this uh, straightaway, and we can see out about 20 yards in front of us is a goose standing in the middle of the path. Did you take the dogs on this walk? No, just me and Rachel. Okay. So did you go chase the goose? So we go walking, and we're about 20 yards away, and she says, that goose isn't moving. It'll be fine. <laughs> and we get a little bit closer, and she goes, there's another goose with it. And she's like, oh, but it's big. It's fine. I go, mm, I think that might be its baby. And she's like, no, no way. It's so big. <laughs> it's a big baby. We get up to it, and that goose doesn't move a fucking inch. <laughs> it is standing in the middle of that path, <laughs> staring at us. And she moves over to the side. I get behind her as we're walking past so we don't intrude on this goose's space. And right when she gets even with it, it cocks its head to the side and dead <laughs> stares at her and goes, <sighs> Start hissing at you like a cat. Yeah, its little <laughs> tongue was sticking out with the little teeth all over it, and I've never seen her move so quick. And I was there. I was like, "Oh God, do I run or do I get ready to uh, dodgeball kick this goose?" <laughs> dodgeball kick <laughs> across the across the uh, walkway. Dude, I think that goose would jack you up. <laughs> Maybe I don't know. My adrenaline was pumping. Like I, as we were approaching it, I'm like, man, this isn't a big deal. It's just a goose. And I get closer to it, and it hisses at us. I'm like, boy, we about to throw down. <laughs> this might not be uh, a goose anymore. This might just be a mortal enemy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> is this is this the path you guys typically walk? That area? Yeah, and there's a guy walking the other way, like ten yards after we walk past this goose. I look at Rachel and smile. I'm like, let's look at this. And we turn around, and the goose is gone. <laughs> I'm like, no. What you'll find, Jason, is that in the next couple of days or so, you hear like a tap, tap, tapping on your window, and the goose is just going to be out there, like pointing its <laughs> wing at you. <laughs> With a knife. <laughs> yeah, dude. It's going to be, uh, I expect you'll see that goose quite a bit more in the near future. <laughs> that's, that's really why I've been self-isolating, trying to get away from that goose. You're not really worried about the coronavirus. You're worried about that goose attacking you yeah. and your fiance. <laughs> exactly. Oh, man. The funny thing is, that goose is going to be on that path for good now. And it's going to tell its babies about how bullied a pair of <laughs> It's camping out. It's waiting. It's like, I know those assholes are coming back after my baby. This is my path. Oh, man. That was a good story, dude. Now let's get to one of our own. Yeah, I can start us off. So... I'm going to be telling us about the Tootsie Roll Soldiers, is what I like to call them. They go by the Chosen Few. That might ring a bell for some people. Sure. The Tootsie Roll Soldiers, does that have anything to do with the the song? Yeah, they were just a group of guys who would stop wars, actually, by doing the Tootsie Roll dance. There it is. (laughs) And bringing everybody together. And everybody knows once you start Tootsieing, there's no need to be fighting. That's right. You know, it's uh, music and dance truly brings the world together. <laughs> <laughs> so we're looking at the Korean War here, and particularly the Battle of the Chosen Reservoir. This battle happened with the Chinese attacking the U.S. Marines X Corps. 
So when they attacked, their first objective was to eliminate the X-Corps who just arrived. If, if I may, Jason, yep. just because I want to get ahead of 10 out of 10 listeners who are going to comment on this, it's core, not corpse. Corpse is a dead Sorry. body. <laughs> I know what a corpse is. <laughs> okay. Oh, and if anybody doesn't know, I can't read. So it makes this <laughs> yeah. very difficult. <laughs> For any of those people out there who think we might be educated, far and away, my friends. I can do math. I cannot read. (laughs) So their first objective was to eliminate the X-Corps that just came in. They weren't able to do that, fortunately. They were able to achieve a secondary goal, which was drive them out of North Korea. Looking back on how all this unfolded, the X-Corps came in... September 1950 and joined the United Nations Command Force, the UNC. University of North Carolina. <laughs> That's right. Yep. Uh, and at the time, it was very cold. It was like negative 5 degrees Celsius during the day and negative 38 degrees Celsius at night. So it's freezing temperatures at the time. Jeez. When the X-Corps arrive, they get acquainted with the forces that are already there, and they get told what they're going to be doing, and they start moving up the coast. And that's when they first run into the Chinese. So as the X-Corps coming in, the UNC didn't know that the Chinese were also developing their forces. They're building the Chinese People's Volunteers Forces, CPVF. There's so many acronyms in this right now. There are, and I'm going to stop using those pretty soon. Okay. But the Chinese developed this fighting force, which isn't your typical fighting force. If you notice, the word volunteers is in there. Yeah. So they aren't elite trained soldiers, but there's a lot of them. Their first engagement happened when the X-Corps starts moving. It's them and some of the South Korean soldiers get engaged, and they win handily, defeating the Chinese force. And the Chinese lose approximately 662 soldiers in this first encounter. Do we know at this point how many the X-Corps were rocking with? This particular group, I'm not sure how many were in it, but I know in total they had about 3,200 soldiers, but not in this particular engagement. Gotcha. Because they, they split up everywhere. The Chinese saw that they were starting to get split up, the X-Corps and all the other UNC forces, and decided this would be a good opportunity to engage. Um, it didn't go well for them. But after this victory, the leaders of the UNC decide, well, the X-Corps is doing a pretty good job. We should move inland. So they, they push inland through a bunch of hard terrain, like okay. a lot of narrow passages, valleys, and bridges and end up getting to the bottom of this mountain where the chosen reservoir is. I feel like there's a battle coming on soon. When they get here, it's really hard to make base. The ground is so cold that they're only able to get foxholes by using like a a backhoe or something, a heavy equipment, or explosives. Oh my gosh. The ground is ridiculously hard, so it's hard for them to make their base, but they do. And some of the soldiers are starting to recognize, well, this isn't the greatest position down in this reservoir. No, I can't imagine it is. Let's just get to a place where everybody else can see us and we got to crane our necks and not have visibility. (laughs) Yeah, we can't make our foxholes or anything. So they start setting up their camp. They get their supplies and everything. And recognizing that this isn't the greatest position, they start 
making some moves to try to better their position. But unfortunately, it's too little too late. The Chinese see where they're at, and this is where the big engagement happens. The Chinese forces come in with somewhere between 120,000 and 150,000 soldiers. Oh my goodness. To the X-Corps base now has the 3,200 soldiers. 3,200? Yeah, to... And the Chinese were coming in with over 120,000? Yes. Whoo! Yeah, so not great odds here, but the U.S. were trained soldiers with a lot of equipment and artillery. right. And the Chinese soldiers were, again, trained volunteers who weren't prepared for this kind of weather and didn't have all the necessary equipment to be fully decked out for a fight like this. But having such a huge advantage in geography and numbers, they decided to go forward with the attack. I would I would argue that nobody is accurately prepared for that type of weather situation. <laughs> <laughs> no. And it, it's seen by the U.S. soldiers also. A lot of their lines in their tanks start cracking, the fluid lines. Their guns start malfunctioning. Hmm. Um, it A lot of stuff is just going wrong because of the weather. But it, it's definitely affecting both sides. The X-Corps does get some relief from air support. But they are not in a good position. They're being held down. And they know they need to do something or else they're not going to make it out. So they start making a plan. And I'll, we'll post the sources like we always do in the description. So if you guys want to look into the nitty gritty of what happened, you can but they make their plan and they start escaping. And when there's about 1,500 soldiers left of the X-Corps still there, they decide, well, we're running out of artillery. We need to request some 60 millimeter mortars or we're going to be in trouble. So they call in and luckily they get their airdrop because they have air support and pallets come down of the artillery they need. And they go to open it up and all of them are filled with Tootsie Rolls. No way. So you're expecting artillery to get your soldiers. So at this point, they have about half the soldiers that they brought to this reservoir out. Starting at 32, yep. they got down to 15. Like, okay, we can make this happen. We just need a couple of 60 mic mics, and we uh, we should be home free. Airdrop comes in. Let me see that Tootsie Roll. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So the mix-up here is code word for this for these mortars was Tootsie Rolls. And the no. person taking the call just, I guess they, they were in a panic or they didn't have the, the code word sheet or something. Oh my gosh. And they heard Tootsie Rolls and they sent Tootsie Rolls. Literally, Pal- literally pallets, pallets of Tootsie Rolls. This ended up being a blessing in disguise though. So the soldiers couldn't cook their food rations because it was so cold. But the Tootsie Rolls could be eaten even if they were frozen. If anybody, I'm sure everybody's eaten a Tootsie Roll before. When after being in your mouth, they kind of turn into like a, a putty and you can eat them. Yeah. Um, but they also realized that this putty like material warmed up in their mouth could be put onto the broken lines of their tanks to repair them. No freaking way, dude. So they chew up these Tootsie Rolls and put them on the, the lines of their tanks. And since it's so freezing cold, it, it solidifies and seals the lines and their tanks are able to all operate again. That's insane. If I was on the Chinese side, I'm fighting and I see this big goopy tank covered in chewed up Tootsie Rolls coming at me. I'm just like, ah, man, I don't know if this is worth it or not. 
yeah, I, it'd be it'd be crazy to sit, get in that mindset. It's like, okay, we got numbers on numbers, all their machinery's down. So I'm sure there was some sort of recon that's like, uh, for some reason they got a pallet of Tootsie Rolls. We should still be good. <laughs> you just see a couple of the uh, the X Corps just munching away. <laughs> like, okay, they're slapping it on their tanks for. Oh no, it's running. <laughs> that's insane, dude. Yeah, it is. It's crazy. And they end up getting the mortars they need and make their final push because they, they need to get out. They, Outstanding. They, they need to get south. And they push through the lines, through all these bridges and valleys. Very dangerous road in the situation and, and end up getting out. They do they do have some casualties. They lose about 3,000 men and about 6,000 get wounded. But they get out and... Part of the reason they get out is this mix-up with the Tootsie Rolls, allowing their tanks and other equipment to be repaired by chewed-up gunk. That is some next-level thinking. So, it is. So, uh, you said that there was 6,000 hurt. Now, is this from the Chinese side or from the X-Corps? I thought you said the X-Corps only had 3,200. You're right. So, I just checked my sources. I had a typo on my sheet. There wasn't 1,500. There was 15,000. So there's 30,000 soldiers okay. to the uh, 150,000. Yeah, still uh, still not the odds that the typical American trooper likes to see. Still not good odds. But, right. yeah, 3,000 of the 15,000 that are there die, and 6,000 are wounded. So they take, I mean, that's 9,000 out of 15,000. Right. And still, I mean, I can't even imagine what the... Um casualty report would be like without operational tanks and without you know just some some know-how and some clever thinking from some tootsie roll eating super soldiers <laughs> that's right you did bring up the chinese casualties inadvertently it's hard to tell how many of the chinese lives are taken because they they don't report very much on this but it's estimated between 40 to eighty thousand soldiers were either killed wounded or succumb to the weather oh my goodness and i think part of that is probably because they were very not prepared for the weather also due to the fact that they weren't professionally trained by any measure just a bunch of volunteers war is never a good thing but never. using ingenuity to save some lives is so yeah the tootsie roll soldiers yeah i think uh just highlighting the fact that the ingenuity. I mean, it, it's crazy that the the sixty mic mic artillery was confused with Tootsie Roll because it had the same keyword. Those odds have to be pretty slim. Yeah, it must have been a new guy <laughs> they had. Yeah, yeah, and then additionally, the fact that they could actually use that to their advantage and actually were able to make something happen with with the miscommunication. Really cool, really cool story. I like it. I'm gonna jump into mine. Mine's a uh, it's about the end of a war and, and what people do to celebrate the end of a war. So specifically, we're going to talk about Napoleon Bonaparte and uh, what he did after he signed the Treaty of Tilsit, which was uh, in July of 1807. And that was a treaty that ended the war between the French Empire and Imperial Russia. So as all great countries and champions do after you have a... Uh, a war ended you want to celebrate uh, and napoleon figured he would celebrate by having a rabbit hunt organized what a great celebration right you know <laughs> let's, and... let's just kill a bunch of more things after the war <laughs> yeah. 
you know, I feel uh, I feel like a hero for, for winning this war. Now let's just celebrate mortality even to a further extent. Uh, so he had his uh, chief of staff, who is Alexander Berthia. I'm not sure how to say that last name. Um, so he organized it. Uh, there are different sources that claim a different amount of rabbits were collected for this, you know, celebratory rabbit hunt. There's been anywhere from several hundred rabbits uh, to reports going as high as 3,000 rabbits. I would say that if there's that many rabbits, it's not a hunt. It's a slaughter. (laughs) A hunt is if there's a couple rabbits. That's like putting like 50 fish into a bucket and you shoot a gun into it. And you're like, oh, I'm fishing. No, you're not fishing. You're just (laughs) shooting fish. If I may sort of uh, jump on that a bit more, that's like putting 50 fish into a bucket and then putting a case of dynamite in that same bucket. (laughs) I think I hit one. (laughs) That's ridiculous. Where do you even get that many rabbits? We'll get to that, and and it matters. (laughs) Um, So, again, various reports about the the volume of rabbits here. But they had them caged up, ready to release in sort of a grassy field, ready for Napoleon and his high-level brass to take part in this rabbit hunt. So upon release, these rabbits didn't flee. They didn't run away from the, the royal party. They did the exact opposite. They charged. <laughs> they did what the French are so constantly made fun of for not doing. They, they, they took after it and they, uh, they charged Napoleon. It only takes one smart rabbit in 3,000 to or- orchestrate a charge. <laughs> At what point, uh, I feel like we're doing this every episode, but might as well just keep the continuity going inside this brain of of the rabbits, right? (laughs) So at at what point do you see enough numbers of rabbits to be like, hey, guys, I think we could take them? (laughs) It depends how many people are there, right? Say there's 10 people there. If I got 300 rabbits, 30 per person, I'm getting those rabbits together, and I'm like, hey, guys, as soon as they open the cage take one step out and then turn and go back you'll never see it coming now imagine that but you had (laughs) three (laughs) thousand at what points could i mean it's almost like a monty python and the holy grail type thing except for instead of just one that kills a lot it's just masses upon (laughs) that i mean what are you gonna do even if you have a gun then it's not like an ak or something you're gonna get maybe like three or four rabbits and you're going down Let's flip it around. Okay. You're one of those people. Yeah. At what point are you comfortable with the rabbits coming at you? So it's kind of like a a how many rabbits could you take before going down type situation? Yeah, with an old-timey musket. Well, at that point, the musket is, like you said, good for maybe one one spread shot of six to eight rabbits. (laughs) Beyond that, it's just a big old hitting stick. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know what my odds would be because if they know what they're doing by any stretch, I mean, as far as like, biting and going after rather than just sort of rushing napoleon's a little guy too yeah there's some there's some evidence that suggests he was like five six which was pretty average for that time period but whatever <laughs> that's that's hey, inconsequential i'm just going off of cartoons he's a little guy yeah a little guy you know has big boots puts a hand in his pocket <laughs> it's all the same so anyway when these rabbits charged they basically caused the entirety of Napoleon and his brass to flee, which is maybe, aside from Waterloo, Napoleon's worst defeat ever. 
<laughs> the brass and Napoleon actually got into the royal carriage, um, at which point the rabbits, again, allegedly started to flank maneuver. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> they might be smart enough to orchestrate a charge, but a flank, uh, right. I don't know about that. Right. So I did have a pretty fun quote, um, and again, we'll post our sources, but this is from a historian named David Chandler. It says, with a finer understanding of Napoleonic strategy than most of his generals, the rabbit horde divided into two wings and poured around the flanks of the party that, and headed for the imperial coach. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like these rabbits were about business. They take the horses down because they know they can't go anywhere. They have them trapped. <laughs> they go after the knees of the horses. <laughs> um, so there's also some stories that several rabbits would jump into the coach and that the onslaught didn't stop until the coach had like been on its way and was moving out which you know believe what you like this is just what we're reporting on so so jason you asked where people would get this this volume of bunnies or or rabbits whatever the case may be ultimately it ended up being the fault of the chief of staff who orchestrated it all this alexander berthia because instead of purchasing wild hares he bought farm bunnies. Everybody knows farm bunnies are trained in the art of war. Farm, farm bunnies ain't nothing to mess with, apparently. And to any listener who knows what the big deal is with farm bunnies and why they don't take no crap from nobody can hit us up on any type of social media. Please give us farm bunny facts. Why are they so deadly? So vicious? Why is a wild hare, which is, seems to be bigger, faster, would be more athletic? Doesn't have the name bunny. Why, why are they more prone to run away than a farm bunny who's been living on feed from the farmer, you know, the easy life, and then once set free, they turn into rogue agents? Yeah, that's the story of Napoleon and how he had his, I would argue, most embarrassing defeat at the hand of several hundred or thousand rabbits. Uh, that's it for this week's episode. Just wanted to say a quick little word. We know it's kind of rough out there with this whole self-quarantine business. Uh, we just want to say keep your heads up. We hope that this podcast allows for anywhere from 20 to 30 minutes of you know, easier pastime or, or things going a little bit easier, a little bit funnier. Um, things are going to get better. And another thing we wanted to say is if you guys are enjoying the podcast and the podcast material, please, please, please spread the word. Obviously, word of mouth is the best way to get around, and we are... Uh, really enjoying doing the podcast as well. So if you have anyone who you think might be interested in giving this a listen, please don't hesitate to let them know. Uh, that being said, our social media information is Fig of My Reality on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and our email is figmentofmyreality at gmail.com. If you guys come check us out there, we're posting some content we think's fun and funny, some drawings we're doing, making some little snippets of the best parts of the podcast. If you guys want to interact with us, send us some personal stories, some history stories. We'd love to share those too. Or if you guys are into drawing or doing any art, we'd love to share that also. So if anybody wants to send us that kind of stuff, that'd be awesome. And we'd love to see it. Yeah, hit us up. Now just leave us with the little piece of reality. The opposite of albino is melanistic. You know how you see um, you know, albino animals and all that stuff that are all white. Well, there are melanistic animals out there that are mostly, if not all, black. And I think that's pretty neat. Pretty cool looking. Oh, yeah. With that being said, I'm your host, Jerry Bales. I'm your other host, Jason Wright. Talk to you next week. <laughs>